0: Any parents relate to that kind of stuff right there? Sure. Didn't mean to hurt your child, but you did, didn't you? Uh, That's why this parenting thing has been so hard for us, right? The last few weeks, we've been talking about, are we there yet? And there's four compelling questions that every person needs a compelling answer to. And parents, you cannot pass on that which you do not have. And so you need to know the answers, you need to live the answers, and then you pass those answers on to your kids because you don't want your kids to settle for survival, you don't even want your kids to settle for success, you want them to live a significant life. Well, now we're up to question number Four, But before I give you a question, number four, let me tell you a little story. There was a motivational speaker, and uh, he was talking to a crowd of people, and he was trying to explain to them how motives work. And he said to one guy, he had him come up as a volunteer, he put a board on the ground. He said, I just out of curiosity, sir, would you walk from one side of the board to the other side of the board for $20? And the man who was the volunteer, he said, yeah, I'll walk from one side of the board to the other side of the board for $20. He said, sir, if I took the board, though, and I put it up on a 40-story building, and I put it on top of the 40-story building, and I and attached it to the adjoining building right across the way, and, and I said, would you still walk across that board for $20? Would you do it? And the man said, no, I would not do that. And, and the motivational speaker, he said, would you do it for $100? And the man said, no, sir, I would not walk across. 40 flights up there, I would not walk across that board even for 100 $100. He said, You got kids, don't you? Man said, Yes, I do. He said, What if I have a hold of one of your kids and I've got them dangling over the edge and I say to you that if you don't walk across that board, I'm gonna drop your child to its death. Would you walk across then? The man who was the volunteer said, Which kid do you have? (laughs) You rock them as infants, you play hide and seek with them when they're toddlers. Uh, You do hundreds and hundreds of hours of homework with them. How many baseball games and soccer games and basketball games have you sat through? How many concerts have you attended? You, You wish that when your child came and was brought into your world that they would come with some kind of owner's manual, right? Some kind of instruction guide, but they don't. And sometimes you want to pull out your hair and sometimes you just want to throw in the towel, but you won't do it. And that's why I've been so impressed with so many parents during this series, because we've been looking at these four compelling questions, and you've taken these things very, very seriously. So for those of you who are joining us for the very first time during this series, let's recap where we've been. Four compelling questions. First one was this, what's going to be the center of our life? Now, we all know what the answer should be. It should be Jesus. Jesus. But the question we ask ourselves is even though we know the answer are we living according to that answer. And then the second question was this what will be the character of our life. And we talked about setting an example. For the believers in speech and life and love and faith and in purity. That we would be the same people we are in one situation as we are in another situation because those little sinners are watching everything we do and we don't want to give them the wrong impression of what it is to be a follower of Christ. And then last week we talked about who our kids are going to marry and how we could walk with our kids through the minefield called dating and how we could help them navigate those things and maybe they wouldn't get as blown up as we got blown up with so many regrets along the way. Well, today we're going to talk talk about what will be the contribution of our life to this world. Now, here's the bottom line. God has a plan and purpose for every single person. Every single person who's ever been born, God has a plan and a purpose for their life. He has something that he wants them to contribute, something that he wants them to accomplish. The Bible says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's certain things that we're supposed to accomplish We're not here by accident. There was a little girl, she came up to her mom, she said, Mom, I'm curious, how did the human race begin? And, and the mom said, well, well, daughter, this is how it started. Way back, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he created Adam and Eve, and then they had kids, and they had kids, and over many generations, here we are today. Well, she thought that was a pretty good answer. A couple of days later, she went and she found her dad asking the same question. She said, Dad, how did the human race begin? He said, Billions and billions and billions of years ago, there were gases that came out of nothing that collided. And out of this gigantic fart came all of this order. That's what happened. And so uh, over the time, there's this evolutionary process. And we came from, from apes. Now the little girl's really confused. She doesn't understand where, where in the world the human race came from. So she goes back to her mom. She says, Mom, I just don't fully understand this. When I asked you how the human race began, you said that God created us and then Adam and Eve had kids and then so on and so on and so on. But when I asked dad, he said that we evolved from monkeys. And the mom said, well, that's quite easy to explain. You see, when I answered the question, I was talking about my side of the family. And when your, <laughs> when your dad answered the question, he was talking about his side of the family, right? God has a plan and purpose for every single person. So parents, here's, here's the deal. At a very young age, you've got to explain to your kids that they're not here by accident. That they're not here because of some cosmic gases that collided billions of years ago and out of chaos came all of this order. We're not here as a result of a muddy glob. We're here as a result of a mighty God. We were made by God, for God, to have a relationship with God, okay? you got to keep emphasizing that because the culture is just swimming against you, if you understand what I'm talking about right now. And you got to keep talking about these things, giving your child value and a value they have in Christ. And here's the deal. God placed us on this earth to accomplish certain things. God has great and mighty things planned not only for your life, but also for your kids' lives as well. And at a very early age, you got to teach your kids not to go after survival, not to go after success, but to go after significance. You want your kids to live a significant life. Let me give you the definition of the de- difference between success and significance. Write this down. This is pretty good. Success is what you do for yourself. Significance is what you do for others. And yet we live in a world where a lot of people are shooting after survival and they're shooting after success. And very few parents and very few parents are entrusting their kids to live a significant life. And what we're seeing is a vast number of, of the human race settling along the way. Settling for something less than than what God would have them to be about. And not making the significant contribution that God has for them to make. We settle along the way. Two ways that we settle. Write this down. Number one is this. Some people just settle for self-absorption. A lot of people live their life this way. It's all about them. It's all about meeting their needs. And everything should revolve around them. And it's all about their comfort. There's a lot of people that live for comfort. They want a comfortable house, and they want a comfortable job, and they want a comfortable spouse, and they want comfortable kids, and they want everything to be comfortable. They want a comfortable chair and a comfortable TV, and they don't want to have to you know, stress about anything. They don't want to be challenged on anything. They don't want to get outside of their bubble of comfort because comfort is king. A lot of people are living their lives this way. And when we get this comfortable, we don't get uncomfortable with the plight that the world is in today. We don't see the real world as the way that it really is because we don't want to see it. We we don't want to be the hands and feet of Jesus because being the hands and feet of Jesus means that we're going to get really, really dirty. It means it's going to be inconvenient. It means it's going to be costly. And that doesn't fit our mantra of wanting comfort. But we're so bored. I mean, we're such a bored people. We're always looking for something else to buy to fill the boredom that we have inside of us because we've settled for less than kind of a life. When God has this great adventure that we're supposed to go after, and we can't expect our kids to want to go after that great adventure if mom and dad aren't living for that great adventure. We gotta explain to our kids that there are diseases that need a cure. That there are people starving that need to be fed. That there's slavery that needs to be ended. Elderly that need to be cared for. Water wells that need to be dug. And lost people who are going to spend their eternity separated from God. There's lost people that need to be found. At a very early age, we need to teach our kids that the most important thing they can do with their life is seek God first. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness, that means doing the right thing, doing it God's way, and everything else will be given to you as well. We settle. We settle for comfort. We settle for self-absorption. Let me give you the second thing that we blow up when making a significant contribution. Some people don't make themselves available to God because all they care about is making money and accumulating more and more. And this is the plight that we have right now because that's become the focus for a lot of people. They trust more in the almighty dollar then they trust in Almighty God. And yet their souls are so very, very empty, they long for something greater, but they spend all their time, energy, and effort pursuing that which will never, ever satisfy them. I came across uh, some interesting quotes. Let me put them over here on the big board. Now, these guys lived hundreds of years ago, and we, when they lived uh, their lives, they were millionaires. So if, if inflation today, they'd probably be trillionaires because inflation, you know, it's terrible. So look at this. W.H. Vanderbilt, this is what he said. The care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it. Isn't that crazy? $200 million. It'd probably be $200 billion today. John D. Rockefeller, this is what he said about money. I've made millions, but they brought me no happiness. So we think the more that we make, the more that we are, and the more happy we're going to be. And yet the more you have, the more you stress out, and the more anxious that you are. How about this one? Andrew Carnegie, millionaires seldom smile. Well, why is that? Because they're stressed out all the time. They're worried all the time. They're anxious all the time. How about this one? Henry Ford. I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. See, here's what's interesting. Money has limitations, doesn't it? So if you have too much, would you give me some? You've probably seen this phrase before, but money can buy you a house, but it can't buy you a home. We know that. And yet, what do we pursue? Money can buy a bed, but it can't buy you sleep. Money can buy a clock, can't buy you time. Money can buy you sex, but it can't buy you love. Money can buy you medicine, but it can't buy you health. Look at what the Bible says here over in Ecclesiastes about money. It says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Isn't that the truth? Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. You can have all the money in the world and be absolutely miserable. In fact, some of you have more money in the bank than you ever dreamed you'd ever have in your entire life, and you're one of the most miserable people. You have so many cares and so many concerns, and you're pursuing money rather than pursuing the Lord. You're settling for success. It's all about your kingdom. Now, some of us, that's not the problem for us. The problem for us is stuff, because you've never had a dollar you didn't want to spend. So it's about accumulating more and more and more. And so every time you get a little bit more, you want to buy something else, right? You want to buy a boat. You want to buy a motorcycle. You want to buy an RV. You want to buy, 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 get, 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 get. Because those things are somehow going to satisfy you, right? I'm glad we live in a technologically advanced age. I'm thankful for that. No doubt about it. I love my big screen TV. I love it. 4K with my Super Bowl champion. I mentioned the City Chiefs lately. The Super Bowl champion Chiefs, when they're on TV, and I get to watch them with my big screen TV, with my surround sound, I feel like I'm right on the field with them. I feel like I'm blocking and tackling and doing everything I can. I'm standing up, walking around, pacing around the room. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's just very exciting. I love my 4K HD TV but it doesn't fill the emptiness inside of me. The latest gadget or gizmo doesn't fill the emptiness inside of me. Now all the ladies are like, yeah. How stupid of the guys. (laughs) See, for you, it's not a big screen TV. It's not the latest gadget or gizmo. It's the latest pair of shoes. How many pairs of shoes does a woman need? No one knows the answer to that question. It's one more purse, it's one more outfit, it's one more top, it's one more pair of pants, it's one more of this, it's one more of that, because somehow going on the next shopping spree is somehow going to fill the emptiness that's inside of you. Let me ask you a question. What was the last thing that you really, really wanted? I mean, really, really wanted it? It kept you up at night, you thought about it all the time, you just weren't going to be happy, weren't going to be satisfied until you could go have that thing. And then you saved up for it and you got it. You brought it home, you opened it up. And you caressed it. <laughs> and you loved it. And you said, you are so good. I'm so excited. I have you. How long did the excitement last? A day? A week? A month? What are you pursuing now? What's the next thing? And when will enough be enough? Why don't we live a significant life? It's because we're pursuing stuff that won't satisfy us. We're giving our life to things that, well, to things that are going to fill up somebody's landfill in about six years. And so our kids are watching us live on these levels of comfort and of money being the driving force and of our kingdom being the driving force and stuff being. I mean, some of us can't even pull our car in a three car garage. Do we honestly think that they're all of a sudden going to choose to go live a life of significance that makes a difference and changes their piece of the world when mom and dad only care about their small piece of the world? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 8 says, The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear of its fill of hearing. So, so how do we make certain that our kids don't fall in these traps, and how do we make certain that we get out of these traps if we find ourselves in them? First thing is this, we have to make the needs of others more important than our own. And we have to model this value in front of our kids. What's robbing us of joy? It's selfishness. Thinking that everything has to revolve around us, that everybody has to serve us, that it's all about us. It's killing us. There was a guy who was dressed really nice. He went into a restaurant, sat down. He looked like he was a little bit sad, and the waitress came over to get his his, uh, order... And she said, are you okay? You, you, you seem a little down. You, you seem a little depressed. He said, well, two months ago, my grandfather passed away. She said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Sorry to hear about your grandfather passing away. He said, yeah, me too. He said, he left me $185,000 cash. She said, wow, well, that's nothing to be sad about. He said, yeah, last month, my uncle died, and he, he left me $100,000 in stocks. She said, wow, that's amazing, too. That's nothing to be sad about as well. He said, yeah, but so far nobody's died this month and nobody's left me anything. The Bible says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Millard Fuller is the founder of Habitat for Humanity. Did you know he was a multimillionaire when he was 29 years old? Got married, this cute girl, and he was so excited and he thought everything was wonderful in their little life. They had everything money could buy and had all the stuff that they needed. And just wanted to accumulate more and more and more. He thought his marriage was fantastic until he walked through the front door and she was gone. She left a note, said she couldn't keep living this way anymore. So he tracked her down, found her in a New York City hotel. Knocked on the hotel door, she opened it up. They sat down, they talked all night, all night, and finally they really talked. They talked about what they wanted their lives to be about, how they felt empty, how they didn't understand why they had all this stuff and it just left them so cold. And they got on their knees by that hotel bed and they prayed and prayed and prayed together And they asked God to give them wisdom, to give them insight as to what life is truly all about. What's worth giving your one shot at life to. And they both came to the conclusion uh, after they prayed that they were to leverage their life to give uh, housing to the poor. And to be a voice for those who were oppressed. To bring justice to those who didn't have a voice at all. It was now early morning hours, and they called in room service for some breakfast, and they said, you know what, let's eat our breakfast, let's get in the shower real quick, and, and let's head to church. So they went to a little local church, and they were so excited about this new purpose that God had given them, and this new vision for how they could make an impact with their life, and they went, and they sat through the service, and it was nice, and it was lovely, and after the service, everybody was mingling around, you know, out in the foyer, and they were meeting different individuals, and they said, Well, what brings you here? And then they began to share their story of how he had to track his wife down and how the, all the money in the world wasn't making him satisfied. And they felt like they needed to give it away, and they needed to start providing housing for the poor and be a voice for those who were oppressed. You would have thought the people in the congregation would have been excited for them. Say, Oh, man, that's amazing. That's great. Look, at you got a call from God. you got a passion from the Lord. You need to pursue that with everything you've got. You would have thought that would have been the response. But this is what they said, oh, you've taken this thing way too far. You've taken Christianity way too far. And this is what he writes in his book. He says, these people didn't understand that we weren't giving up money and the things money could buy. We were giving up a whole way of life that was just killing us. And the people who really know the Fullers will tell you that they the most joyful people in the world as they continue to provide housing for those who can't afford it. At some point in time, you've got to realize that life isn't about you. That life's about putting the needs of other people ahead of yourself. And that when you see a need, you want to meet that need. That you really do want to leave this piece of your world in better shape than the way that you found it. And it's not your piece of the world. It's the piece of the world of everyone that God has placed in your sphere of influence to impact. If you want to live a life of significance, gosh, maybe the reason we're not experiencing a meaningful life is because it's become all about us. Let me give you a second one. You've got to make your focus on the eternal and not the temporary. A, a funeral home director had the uh, unfortunate uh, opportunity of going into a nursing home where he was going to share with an elderly man that had, the man's son had recently died. And he was dreading it. The man was already sick enough and nursing home, and he didn't want to add to his broken heart. And the man had already lost his wife a few years earlier, and he just he just didn't want to go do it. But he walked in there and knocked on the door, and he walked in very quietly and as gently as he could. I said, "I'm so sorry to tell you the news, but your son has passed away." And the elderly man turned and he looked out the window, tears welled up in his eyes. Then he looked back at the funeral director and he said. Won't his mom be glad to see him? We are on this earth about this much time when it comes to eternity. But what we do in this amount of time has unbelievable eternal consequences. And I just think there's just a lot of people living their life in a meaningless manner where they're just chasing the wind like a dog chasing his tail And they're looking for something that will satisfy. They're looking for something to give themselves to. And they're forgetting that heaven is in the balance. They're forgetting that eternity is eternal. And that we can leverage this little bit of time for all of eternity and make an eternal difference. But we're so consumed with the here and the now that we don't even think about the ramifications of our life for all eternity. You've got to focus on the eternal and not focus on the temporary. I'm going to give you three questions you need to ask yourself. How much is what I'm doing right now going to count five to ten years from now? Is any of it that you're doing has any eternal significance to it at all? That's the second question. How much is going to count in eternity? Are we just wasting time? And if we're wasting time, our kids notice that we're wasting time, and guess what? They're going to end up wasting time too because they're going to become more and more like you. Let me give you the third one. By spending my life in this way, will I one day hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what the Apostle Paul said. Greatest missionary I ever walked the face of the earth, Acts 20, 24. He said, life is worth nothing, nothing, unless I do it for, unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. So what percentage of your time is investing in spiritual things? What percentage of your time is invested in helping the needs of somebody else? What, what 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 percentage of your time is you leveraging your time and your talent and your resources for something greater than your own little kingdom of mud, but you're leveraging those things for the kingdom of God? Whose life are you impacting right now with the life that you're living? Beyond your immediate family, who are you impacting for the King of kings and for the Lord of lords? Have you settled along the way for survival or success, and you're missing out on that significant life? And then the third thing is this, we need to start now. We, we can't keep putting this off. We, we know what we need to do, so we need to do it. We know what we need to leverage, so we need to leverage it. We know what we need to risk, we need to risk it. And the more we keep putting it off, the more we keep saying, I'm going to get around to it, the more our kids are noticing that. And the more they're thinking that's somewhat of a joke, don't you think? And, and so we need to invest in our kids now. Now is the time to have these hard conversations. Now's the time to give them a bigger vision for their life. Now's the time to talk about significance with them and talk to them about the struggles of what it's been to live the kind of significant life that we've talked about today. Now is the time, even though they're young, because they're little sponges and they're absorbing everything you say and everything that you do. Think about this. It was a little boy who, who took a risk and gave Jesus his lunch. And Jesus took those five loaves of bread and those two fish and he fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. It was a teenager by the name of David who ran out on the battlefield and took on that giant of a man named Goliath. It was a teenage girl named Joan of Arc that ran out in the battlefield leading her army against the English. And Thomas Jefferson was in elementary school when he penned the Declaration of Independence. Okay, that last one's not true. But it fits in good with what I was talking about. Some of you are like, wow. I didn't know he was that young. Our kids need to see they're a part of something big. And the big doesn't happen when they turn 20. They could be a part of something significant now. So how do we help our kids do that? Well, you've got to broaden their worldview. You and I don't live in the real world. And if you've ever traveled overseas, you know you don't live in the real world. Let me show you some statistics that your kids need to understand that you need to understand. If we boiled down the population of the entire earth and we boiled it down to 100 people, All we got is 100 people living on the face of the earth, okay? What would it look like? What would the earth look like for those 100 people? You ready? 70 of those 100 people would not have a relationship with Jesus. So You don't live in the real world. There is spiritual darkness that envelops this planet. And we need people to be the light of Jesus Christ. We need people to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 70 out of 100 don't have a relationship with Jesus. Did you know that? How about this one? Boil it down to 100 people, 50 of those people are suffering from malnutrition. And one right now is on the verge of death. But we don't think about that because we walk into our pantry and it's full, and we walk into our fridge and it's full. And let's not forget about the freezer we have in the garage, it's full too. People are starving. Do we care? Or have we gotten so comfortable that this kind of stuff doesn't even bother us anymore? How about this one? Only one of the 100 people would have a college education. And only one would own a computer. Do you realize how blessed you are? And again, I'm not giving you statistics to make you feel guilty. I'm saying you're blessed, so go be a blessing. How about this one? Six would possess 59% of the world's wealth. And all six would live in America. America. 70 of the 100 would uh, be unable to read. 80 of the 100 still live in substandard housing. If you've got money in your pocket, food in your belly, a roof over your head that's stable, you're richer than 75% of the world's population. And if you live in the state of New Mexico, 90% of the people who live in this state do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, according to the latest survey. 90%. They know about God, and they're all for God. They just don't know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They know about Him. They don't know Him. 90%. And we go to work with them every day. We shop, and they help us every day. And we just never even really see the spiritual darkness that's around us as well. These statistics need to disturb us. Disturb us to a point of action. It's not okay that there's a child dying every 21 seconds because they don't have access to clean water. That's not okay. It's not okay that there's still uh, people getting kidnapped and sold into slavery. That's not okay. It's not okay that people are dying of diseases where there already are cures for those diseases. We need to model to our kids to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we need to teach them that the world does not revolve around them. So how do you do it? Well, one, you educate them. Two, when this whole COVID thing is over in 2025, (laughs) please, Lord, no. Take your kid on a mission trip. Get him out of this country. Take him to Juarez where we have two churches. Let him walk the streets of the Pallet City. Let him see poverty homelessness. Go on a mission trip to Haiti where a child is brought to us who hasn't been able to hear since they were two years old and now they're five and find out that the problem for the child is that there's wax buildup in its ears. They'll never forget the moment when the wax is pulled away Because we have the tools to do it, and the child who was two years old, who hasn't heard since they're two for the last three years, haven't heard a thing, all of a sudden they hear for the first time. Watch them see the joy in the mom and dad's face. Listen to the cries of the kids saying, Give me food! Give me food! It's the only English phrase that they know. Let your kids see the real world. And when they come back, they'll be disgusted. They'll think, oh my goodness, what are we doing as we scrape the extra food into the trash can night after night after night? And God just might get a hold of your child. And they might get a holy anger about them and say, someone's got to do something, and I'm not looking for somebody else to do it. That's somebody's me. And they need to see that in you. It's not okay. So how do we leverage our life? Here's your homework assignment if you choose to accept it. You ready? It's real simple. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on a computer. You can do it on an iPad or a tablet. You're going to finish this sentence. I'm here on this earth to what? That's it. Why are you here? I'm here on this earth to make money. Okay, put that one down. Put down everything you can come up with. I'm here on this earth to buy a lot of clothes. I'm here on this earth to what? Just keep listing them, one after the other, after the other, after the other. I'm here on this earth to do a job. I'm here on this earth to pay bills. I'm here on this earth to be a parent. I'm here on this earth to do this. I'm here on this earth to do that. And when you get to the thing that stops you in your tracks, then you'll know why you're here. You know what it is for me? My purpose is to know Christ and to make him known, to attack the very gates of hell itself. And where there is darkness, to bring light, to leverage my life, my time, my talent, and my treasure for the things of God, for the kingdom of God, to make an impact. You know what my goal is? Is that every morning when I wake up that Satan goes, oh crud, he's up. Make that your goal. Go after something more than the American dream which is so fleeting and pursue full devotion to Jesus Christ. Why are you here? I am here on this earth to buy a new car. I'm here on this earth to get a bigger house. I'm here on this earth to do what? But when you find it, when you say, I've got to do that, then you'll know exactly why God put you here. And then what I want you to do is your homework assignment. I want you to share with your kid what God revealed to you. And then I want you to sit them down, and I want them to do the same thing. If they're 13 years old and up, 8 year old not going to have a clue. I'm here on this earth to eat crayons. You know, that's not going to be, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they're looking for purpose. And they're looking for meaning. And unfortunately... They're looking at us. Are they finding it? Are they finding something compelling? Four questions. What's going to be the center of your life? What's going to be the character of your life? Who in the world are you going to marry? What kind of contribution do you want to make for the things of God? Less of me, more of him. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, there's not a person watching me or a person who's in this room who doesn't want to live a significant life. Because you made us for that. We long for that. We want to be a part of something like that. But that means we got to push through our fears. we got to push through our priorities. we got to push through our false agendas. That means we got to go take a risk. And that stuff scares us to death. Lord, help us to have a holy discontent with the way things are and then God I pray that you would direct our path into how we can make a bigger impact for you than we ever have before in our jobs, at our schools, in the businesses that we frequent when we see a need may we meet the need and God if you put a holy fire inside of us to go somewhere where no one wants to go or do something that no one else wants to do God I pray that we would be courageous enough to say here am I send me I'm so tired of being empty. I so much want to live a life that matters in the lives of others. I'm so sick of being self-absorbed. Leverage my life for something greater than myself. Lead me, guide me, give me courage to do it. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I know that's your prayer too. Some of you don't have a relationship with Jesus. On all of our campuses, you need to go to the first step room or you need to text us or call us so we can have a conversation with you because that's where meaning and purpose starts is in a relationship with Jesus. And you can call us or text us at 505 922 9200 We'd love to talk to you. We'll even help you with a little exercise. You know, I'm on this earth to do what? We'll help you walk through all of that till you find that compelling thing. But you gotta have Jesus. And you can't just have him, <laughs> you can't just have him, you know, in your head you got to have this point when you say, I'm just going to do whatever you want me to do. I'm going to go wherever you want me to go. I'm going to follow you wherever you want me to follow you. Because that's where real life is. That's where the adventure is. It's not about a big wardrobe. It's not about a nice car. It's not about a big house. It's about leveraging what God is giving me to make an impact in the life of somebody else. And we all know that's true. And yet we settle. We settle along the way. Why have I preached so hard? Because I feel like sometimes I've settled along the way what we've done as a church and what we could do could be so much more significant if everybody would wrestle with these questions and leverage their life for the kingdom of God. If you want to get baptized, you can go to the first step room. We'll set that up. we got a big baptism celebration coming up in November. You can also call us or text us 505-922-9200. Whatever spiritual decision you might have. There's a song that we picked to end this uh, service with. It's a uh, it's by Rascal Flats. Is that correct? Is it Rascal Flats? Okay. Thanks for saying I appreciate it. Um, it's all about leaving a legacy behind. Listen to the words of this song.